our dear Abby Normals. Welcome to Deeply Disturbing Things, the podcast. I'm Macy. And I'm Naomi. And we're two anxious counselors who like to talk about deeply disturbing things. And Sarah's not here because Sarah's sick. It happens. It does. I've been, I've still been like recovering. I'm still not a hundred percent yet, which is frustrating. I just noticed your shirt in the um, oh, yeah. recording. It's like a little, it's like a job. Lord of the Rings vibe for me. Thanks. Like maybe like I'm a little, el- like an elvish. elven yeah. look. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Sure. I am now going for that vibe. <laughs> um, all right. I go first today. Is my computer right. in the way? <laughs> this is my largest laptop. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. Still look at my screen, even though it's ginormous. <laughs> All right. I'm going first today, and I'm going to talk about fingerprinting. Oh. Yeah. Your topic actually made me think about it with Henrietta Lacks, um, with um, how the body is used in different ways. Um, Interesting. And- specifically this for forensic science uh to identify people from one another wow yeah i'm excited (laughs) i thought about making my fingerprints disappear so i couldn't be caught for crime i mean with some you know there's there's been different outcomes not that that i'm planning to commit a crime but at one time i was like "Hmm, that makes sense makes sense it does make sense. Um, but uh, I'll give an example here in a bit of a scenario where it didn't work, where acid was used to burn off the fingerprints, but it's still... They were still there? Yeah. Um, I think I was going to try lemon juice. Like just lemon juice? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just burn them, but... Okay. But now I like my whorls. I'm glad I didn't get rid of them. Ah, so you know some of the lingo. Have you ever been fingerprinted? When I was a child in the DARE program, they did that too. Even not to do it for like background checks? For no, I guess they did do that. Yeah. 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 I kind of like it where they go, like it roll you. Right. Uh-huh. For, a little forcefully too. It's very forceful. Like um, the grip. Yeah. They just tell me to push down. I can do no, that. They roll you. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. No, that was, was a quite a while ago. Idaho makes you do that with tb testing interesting mm-hmm. right all right so a fingerprint in case you didn't know what that was is a print on your finger ha end of pockets <laughs> um so it's left by friction ridges on the human finger the recovery of partial fingerprints from a crime scene is an important method of forensic science moisture and grease on a finger can result in fingerprints on surfaces like glass metal um Deliberate impressions of entire finger- fingerprints can be obtained by ink on paper, like white paper. Fingerprints records normally contain impressions from the pad on the last joint of the fingers and thumbs. The fingerprint cards also can contain lower joints, which I didn't think about. You technically have fingerprints on lower joints mm. of your fingers, too. Um, and some places will even have you do, like, your palm. Mm. Why do we have unique <clears throat> fingerprints? It seems crazy. I know. We're going to get into some of that. Okay. They are very detailed, and they are nearly unique, difficult to alter, and durable over the life of a person. Um, although in my research, it does show that, like, as people get older, some so folks that are, you know, 
older, older, more wrinkly folks, the it's harder to get a good impression. Oh, that's it. when you should commit crimes when you're older, older. Harder. Um, yeah. I have passed all my background checks, by the way. I do feel like I need to throw that in. Me too. Yay. Hurrah. So they may be employed by the police or authorities. No, sorry. I feel like I need more wine. I'm still, I'm like in work mode. Get out of that. Well, look at it. I can't see it. Okay, good. All right. So police authorities may use that to identify someone, um, either if they maybe broke a law. To, um, they may also do it to, to find people who've been incapacitated or deceased and thus unable to identify themselves or in the aftermath of a natural disaster when they're trying to identify um, remains that have been found. And so there's many uses. And that case I did a couple weeks ago, the killer cut off the hands and mm -hmm. feet and head to try to make the body unidentifiable. And it was unidentifiable for almost four years. Right, right. So we're going to talk, we're going to dive into these things a little bit more. But I just want to point out on the forefront, there are no uniform standards of point counting methods for your fingers. And academics have argued that the error rate in matching fingerprints has not actually adequately been studied. Basically, 100 years of existence doesn't mean 100 years of research. So we just want to keep that in mind as we go through this. Okay, so biology fingerprints are impressions left um, by the human finger. Uh, the matching of two fingerprints is amongst the most widely used for biometric techniques mm -hmm. out of anything. Fingerprints matching considered, uh, considers only the obvious features of a fingerprint. So it's kind of nice, like really minute small things you wouldn't see, it's just the main things. Uh, the composite of a fingerprint consists of water, 95% to 99% is water, as Makes well sense. as right, as well as organic and inorganic constitutes. Do you have your phone set to fingerprint? I do. Yeah. I too. Yeah. Um, it's also made up of amino acids, proteins, glucose, lactase, urea, pruvate, and fatty acids and sterols, whatever those all are. That one sounded like it might have something to do with urine. Maybe. Maybe. Um, other contaminants such as oils, like in makeup, um, mm. drugs, um, mm. and their metabolites and food residues may be found in fingerprint re print residues. So this was something fascinating I learned. Apparently, with fingerprinting, you can actually identify people who have like high caffeine use or um, nicotine use because nicotine, when you smoke it, it carries on your fingers. So they can tell that um, in fingerprinting. Given a lot of information. Yes. So it can also be fingers and, and your toes and or the sole of your foot or the palm of your hand. So basically anything with a ridge. So during the development of the fetus around 13 weeks of pregnancy, a ledge-like formation is formed at the bottom of the epidermis beside the dermis. The cells along these ledges begin to rapidly proliferate. Mm -hmm. The rapid proliferation forms primary and secondary ridges. So they start building, um, and they act as a template for the outer layer of the skin to form. Um, and that then becomes the surface of the skin. So this layering process happens. That's why like they like they say you have like layers of skin. Yeah. So our palm print is unique to us too. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. 
So the epidermal ridges serve to amplify vibrations triggered. For example, when fingerprint, when fingertips brush across an uneven surface, it helps transmit signals to sensory nerves and like to tell the difference between um, changes like that. Mm -hmm. So it serves a purpose as well, which I didn't know. I didn't know that. Um, as well as gripping things. I kind of guessed that. Description. Uh, Finger, your fingerprints also serve as a bit of traction, like for what conditions? A little tread on those tires? Scription. Scription. Nice. Nice. I didn't mix that up. Did, did you not? But I like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Me too. So genetics. Consensus with the scientific community suggests that the patterns on fingertips are hereditary. The patterns between... Uh, monozygotic twins have been shown to be very similar, where dizygotic twins have considerably less similarity. So that'd be a fraternal. Right. So, so that shows right there, like, things are being passed on um, with the fingerprinting, but they're still unique. But even with identical twins, they're going to have different fingerprints. That's right. so interesting. Right. It's still different, but they may share similar patterns. They could incriminate each other in crimes otherwise. Mm, right. That's so probably a good right. thing. That's not matchy match. So it the, wasn't me. So environmental factors give slight differences in your fingerprints. So um, genetics are a big part of it, but things uh, can make it unclear. So things like um, uh, if you've burned yourself before, if you've damaged your fingers before, things like that can impact fingerprints. Um, blood, blood vessels and nerves may also serve as in the formation of these things. So if you have any conditions surrounding um, the development part of that, then that can make things not as expected. So they say basically those environmental factors affect each finger differently, preventing two fingers from even being identical while still remaining similar patterns. So even your fingers on your hands all have similar patterns, but each finger is completely different. It's just crazy. It's wacky. Wacky. Wackadoodle. It is because I just would, would think that over time you'd run out of possibilities for fingerprints. Mm -hmm. and somebody would end up with the same as somebody else. Right. And it hasn't happened yet. Yet. Growth mindset. Yet. <laughs> So, so there's a lot there genetically that we know, we know things can be passed down from like your parents will probably have a similar type to you, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So classification system. So you mentioned the um, whorl type. I know my fingerprint lingo. Hmm. I think mine is a, mine looks like a whorl type as well. I don't know. Can you see the lighting? I cannot distinguish your fingerprint type. Hmm. If I, I don't have some ink in here, we could do a fingerprint analysis. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 thinking whirl as well. So there okay, sorry for those listening. There are multiple. There's the loop, the whirl, and the arch, um, which constitutes 60 to 65 percent. Um so that first, the loop is 60 to 65% of people. 
30 to 35% have the whorl and 5% have the arch. Yeah. I imagine it's like more pointy. Um, you want to see a picture? So it's going to be like actually wider and then it gets into pointier. That is so bizarre. And that's the whorl and that's the loop. This is so weird. It's like we're marked mm-hmm. at birth. Non-tentative. So here's an example of one that like is it's hard to tell. And toes too? Toes too? Toes too have fingerprints. What? Interesting. <laughs> um, so there's some different classification systems that have been made. The Henry classification system, there's three basic fingerprint types, those ones. Um, and there are other ones that have been developed that are more complicated than this since then, but they involve math. So I'm not going to explain. Just draw your own conclusions. Math prints. So with fingerprint identification, which is the study known as dactyloscopy or ridgeology or handprint identification. <laughs> I'll just go with that one. From fingers or toes or even the palm of the hand or the foot. I've always wanted to dust for prints. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, you could do it really anytime. <laughs> They're everywhere. So we, when you are looking for fingerprints, like you're talking about, usually like if you do that roller, like the ink thing you're talking about, um, you have a, a very clear picture of the whole finger. Like they rock it up, they rock it to the sides, but that's not typically how we work when we're doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, is They say that there's right around like 20% of an actual fingerprint that's left behind. Mm. The rest is usually smudged or impartial. Like you can't tell. Well, when I set it on my phone, they make you like keep touching it in different sides. Right, right, right. To get the different angles for when it reads. Right. So friction, so it's it's the act of friction that creates the the mark. Um, So you need friction of some kind. There are... uh, latent prints and live scans where you don't actually have to um so some of the live scans you don't actually have to touch your finger on something which helps prevent smearing Mm -hmm. um and then there's other ones that are latent prints where you do things like put a powder on something to see uh and or you could use like chemical methods things with light to help help it become visible i've seen in some of those crime shows where they just use a piece of scotch tape to lift a print Right, right. After which, somebody unknowingly touched something. Which always seemed like like kind of out there to me. Like, yeah, sure. But when you think about like all the compounds that make up a fingerprint, like there's actually substance there. So that does that does follow for me. <laughs> um, I'm going to try it. They said that sometimes just an ordinary, ordinary like bright flashlight, can you may be able to see fingerprints. I had so, like, that can. Computer. It was just a ruse so I could get your fingerprints later. Damn it. <laughs> I knew it. Okay, so when the friction ridges come in contact with the surface, that will take a print. Material that is on the friction ridges, ridges, perspiration, oil, grease, ink, blood, will be transferred to the surface. So things like pressure, slippage, the material of what you're, like, using. I hate slippage. Can all impact. It's not a good thing. So for these reasons, fingerprint examiners are required to do extensive training because there's a lot of factors that can can go into play there. And it could be life and death. But from like the people who are like con like questioning this method, 
one of their things is, and it has been ruled out of certain courts because that's become subjective. Mm. If you have to train someone in how to perceive all mm. these variations and what could have caused it, that's no longer just factual evidence. That's not a direct match. You're coming to conclusions yeah. and having someone do that, which could lead, there's bias that could be impacted, pressure to solve a case, um, to be the name behind, you know, the person that like did that. How often are prints like the piece of evidence that convicts somebody? I mean, that's a, it's been around for a long time now. Is it now. still really popular? Yeah, it is. There's only, I think the Massachusetts court um it's that's one that is trying to like not have it be mm. a standard like not counting it as evidence but it has been used for a really long time and prior to the start of fingerprinting they just use like snapshot photos like at the side and the front of your face and there was a there was a case i remember that was right before this but um this man got got uh, picked up and they said, you've, you've been to this jail before. And he's like, no, I haven't. And they showed the pictures and I saw them and he looks very similar. I mean, there are differences, but very similar. And they took him in and put him under the name of this other previous convict that was in their uh, unit. And later on, he ended up being able to show that that wasn't him. It was probably his doppelganger. Right. Which we know is real. We found so our doppelgangers. We trick people with that. Yours looks very similar. Eerily. Eerily yeah. so. I feel like I I don't think I'd want to be friends with her <laughs> at all. I think I reached out to mine and they never come back to <laughs> Did you? You actually did? I think I, I did. I I mean I, I want to be friends. Mm-hmm. They were probably super freaked out by how close you looked to them. Like you looked pretty similar. I mean, they did have that like snow cap on but it was close it was like right here in the eyebrows mm-hmm. looked very similar yeah okay so techniques there's exemplar prints which is when you deliberately get it from the subject which means they tend to be very good quality mm. um typically uh and then there's latent which is getting the fingerprint off of something else okay so i wanted to bring up that um partial fingerprints like from crime scenes uh, and forensic science, from forensic areas, they can have partial fingerprints found. So things like chocolate, your makeup toner, paint, ink, anything can carry onto your fingers. So it can also be found on things like soap, or soap can be found. So like if you wash your hands and you have a lot of soap still residue, cement, plaster, um, those are all called plastic prints it actually creates kind of a, a mold almost. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I do wash my hands a lot, but not excessively. Mm-hmm. So, you know how, like, criminals wear gloves, yeah. hide their fingerprints? Guess what they can do? What? They can pull your latent fingerprints off the inside of gloves. <gasps> sure. Does it have to be, like, a certain type of glove, like a rubber glove, or would, nope. like, a cloth nope. glove? Cloth, cloth. So there are, you can get a fingerprint off fabric. Mm-hmm. I should have wore gloves when I was touching. <laughs> I was gonna say how poignant. Something like, that I just painted yesterday that I like thought was dry. I thought it was dry and it was not dry, and it's oil paint. So even though I washed, it still stuck to me. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you almost your fingerprints are all over that. All over now. Yeah. 
<laughs> now they know what you did out there. I'm cooked. Okay, so one of the limitations of this is that how it's collected. So with non-porous surfaces, the residue of the impression will not absorb into the material, but it could be smudged. With porous surfaces, the residue of the impression will be absorbed at some point, depending on what it is. So either leaving an impression, but a partial one or none at all. So in order for it to be done correctly, they do have to, like, that's why time, it actually matters in this mm -hmm. instance as well as getting fingerprints before they might absorb into the fabric of whatever the thing is. Got it. Mm -hmm. In a court context, many have argued that friction ridge identification should be opinion evidence. Um, there have actually been very limited number of studies to show, um, to confirm the science behind the identification mm -hmm. process. So it's not necessarily that like it's wrong, but the process of actually evaluating them, there is not a standard way. And there's not much research around how and why it's done that way, where DNA evidence actually has a huge amount of research behind that, um, that process. So there can be false identification right. with, with this. Um, yeah, and there are some. There are some. So let's see here. I have... So there was a 30-year-old man, um, but this is one where the murder was solved, actually. So on the plus side, it can help us solve things that back before fingerprinting happened, um, you may not have been able to use that evidence. But if that fingerprint evidence still existed just sitting there and you pulled out that cold case and were able to match it, then all of a sudden you have someone. So um, there's a 30-year-old murder that was solved based on this where... He denied, denied, not denied. There was no other evidence. Mm -hmm. And then they were able to use DNA and fingerprints um, to show that there was no way that it wasn't him. I'm talking about a crime tonight, too. Oh, that's Link exciting. Link. Big Link. There's the case of Shirley McKee. So a former Scottish police detective who was accused by fingerprint analysis staff of the Scottish Criminal Record Office of leaving her thumbprint on the bathroom door frame of a murder crime scene in 1997. She denied she had ever even been in the house of the murder victim. Uh, she was initially suspended and then fired and then arrested in 1998 and then tried and acquitted in 1999. It was this pretty big scandal relating to the fingerprinting process um, for how they were gathering the information. Would that freak you out if someone is like, we know you were there, we found your fingerprints. Well, and you're part of the police crew too. Like, so, and this was a big thing, like the person that, um, Marion Ross is the, the woman who's murdered, but she had been stabbed multiple times, presumed, like there was a lot there that would make this really scary. Um, so because Marion Ross was known to hoard possessions, making it possible for Asbury to have left a print on a gift tag years earlier while working at the home, so she had previously worked there, the print on the tin box became a key piece of evidence. So that was used against him, even though it was something from years earlier. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing is if it does, if it's on the right type of surface, the right type of whatever. So they can't date them. Right. Oh, that seems like bad technology then. Right. 
True to say, this is from this date. Right. This was two months About ago. This print. Right. And maybe you could do that with like, oh, this is a partial print on this texture, but over a certain amount of time, anything like that would be gone. So it's only the ones that are more permanent anyways. Mm-hmm. Like if you did it on a piece of paper, you're going to see that 30 years from now. I'm just going to go back to like during COVID when I just didn't touch anything. I just used oh. my elbows all the time. That's a good idea. Are there elbow prints? I didn't see anything about that. <laughs> I don't think they're used if there are. Um, yeah, but there's been at least 12, um, 12 known cases since the 1990s where uh, fingerprinting led to a wrong, wrongful conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, Cohen's of Roxbury, Massachusetts spent six and a half years in prison um, because of it. It was later released. So that was at the time for his age, that was a fifth of his life. I always wonder when they are like, oops, sorry, our bad. Like, do they give them any money or anything to make up for that lost life? I mean, there should be some kind of reparation. Counter sue or something like that. And maybe hush money's given. But yeah, so there's a lot of reasons why. It doesn't work. So there was a test done by the FBI during uh, a man named Brian Mitchell's trial for robbery in 1999. His lawyer questioned the reliability of the fingerprints. So in response, the FBI sent two prints taken from the getaway car and his prints to 53 different crime labs to confirm. Mm -hmm. Of the 39 labs um, that did send back results, only... 23% 23% concluded that the prints did not match those of the car. The judge nevertheless rejected the defense's challenge and accepted the fingerprints into evidence. He was convicted and still remains in prison to this day. The FBI refused to repeat the experiment. Because that looked dumb. So 23% said it didn't match. And one thing with fingerprints that I think is interesting is like our whole justice system is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. But that doesn't happen. <laughs> but but with this too, it adds like, well, if, if we say there's a fingerprint, you are guilty, no matter what the jury says, no mm, matter what the presentation kind of, of the court says. Yeah, it's like this trump card that gets used. Um, but like in this case, 23% chance that it wasn't me does not mean that it like because there's ju- the jury's supposed to make a decision that it there's no way that it couldn't have been you so it's like, like working backwards yeah i don't like those odds no i, I want like my process. 20 i want my 23 percent back in my pocket exactly. like and, and why do they come up with that like yeah. is some study is there like one part of the finger that matched enough where enough people who were trained in the similar styles go oh yep 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 yep, yep. and then other people go Oh, yeah, but this doesn't match at all. I doubt they were that stringent. It was probably one person was like, I'm 23% sure it's not them. Well, it was nine total of the labs. So 30 labs and nine of them said it's not a match. I want 100%. I want you. If you're putting someone in prison. And still in prison today. Yeah. I mean, if it really is innocent until proven guilty, then that should be enough of a doubt. Right. Then it should be enough of a doubt and then bring in other evidence relating to the case and then make a decision. Right. I mean, the more I'm hearing about this, I think it should fall into the same category as like, you know, eyewitness. Right. 
Right. Where it's like, oh, it's some maybe some extra bonus info, but we're not going to convict anybody based on that. But there is a lot of a lot of crimes that have been solved because of this. But then it's it, again, do we know that a hundred percent that they're all accurate? No, we don't. I heard of a case a few years back where um, a boyfriend killed the girlfriend and then used her, her hand to open up her phone. Mm, I so can see that happening. He could, I think he sent some kind of text to mm-hmm. would make him look innocent somehow. Right, right. Yeah, that's creepy. That's creepy. That's super creepy. I I took a when I so I did my undergrad in philosophy and one of the questions that came up like for us to kind of debate about was if you know what what would be the better outcome? Would it be having the wrong person convicted or the right person get away which is pretty relevant here Mm -hmm. but if the wrong person's convicted the right person's still getting away right right but you also risk because you don't know 100% so you do risk the right person getting away yeah I mean, if we're going to stand on this innocent until proven guilty, we got to, like, stick to it, I think, and be consistent. Right. Well, and to me, like, there's typically folks who do something like that, they tend to reoffend. Often. Well, get them in the end. Right. That's like, I'm like, let's do that. Like, if it's iffy enough where, like, someone's whole entire life is going to be ruined because you don't have all the evidence, but you just want to put someone in there. Like, I would rather you not ruin that person's life. And let's just like, and then the catch side of that is someone to say, well, okay. But then that person say murders another person. Was that worth it? Yeah. Um, I don't like those cases when it seems like it's trying to like make the police look good or they just want to close the door on it. Right. To put the public at ease. Well, to me, like one scenario is our control. Let me be uneasy. With our control, we can decide not to like indict someone who isn't clearly guilty if they go and if someone goes and murders someone or harms themselves like we can't control that anyways like that's out of my control no then you just gotta stick to your your thing that you set up (laughs) i mean innocent fingerprinting right now (laughs) well now i i want to go against i'm against fingerprinting at this point I mean, again, I think it should be like a whole picture approach. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm sure it is, but there is a lot of like fingerprinting me, like the fingerprints match. Oh, it's them. Same thing with DNA, but DNA, we have a lot more research around and there's a lot, but it's a lot more scientific. Don't you want to like look at your fingerprints really up close now? Because I-, I do, I know. And we have um, fresh paint, but... I would be concerned about having my fingerprint put into your fireplace forever. <laughs> Don't do it. Mm-mm. Okay, so since we're filming ourselves on my laptop, I have my topic on my phone. Sounds good. So I'm doing a, tr- a crime one too. And the reason I wanted to talk about this case is because I, there is so much that I feel like we could discuss on this on this case. So I titled my topic, The Murder of Hope Parks, Analyzing the Choices of Her Husband. Mm. All right. So before I start, look at this picture of this bridge. 
Mm -hmm. sort of part of there. So look at that space yeah. underneath the railing. Okay. How would you describe that? Um, Narrow. Narrow. It's like maybe hmm. 10 inches yeah. wide-ish. Yeah. So that bridge is called the Sugar Creek Bridge. It's in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Okay. So on August 20th, 2020, a 911 call came in from Crawfordsville, Indiana, reporting a body hanging off the bridge with no head. What? I listened to the 911 call. So a person walking over the mm. bridge called it in and then somebody drove by and like had a conversation and was like, no, it's just a deer. And they're like, no, it's a body. And then they're like, okay, let me back up and look. And then they're like, wow. yep, it's a body. Okay. So it was placed in such a way that the the legs were tangling off the bridge. So it was shoved mm -hmm. under that small space. Mm -hmm. So you could see like um, arm and no head at the top. Okay. So police responded and they did indeed find a decapitated body was stuffed under the railing. So at the same time as this, Michael Parks, was making his own 911 call. He was reporting his wife missing and said that she'd been missing for two days since they had gotten into an argument. He said he was getting worried. I'm getting worried. Mm -hmm. He spoke with the police over the phone and he provided a description of his wife and described her tattoos, which matched those of the body that had just been found. So this is all happening at the same time. Okay. So Michael was immediately instructed to head to the police station straight away. Right. So he did. And they interviewed him. And I watched this interview. It's on YouTube. I watched it twice because it was so fascinating. Because for me, and I think it's, you know, we're psychology minded. Like, I always want to know, like, why would somebody right. do, like, what's the motivation? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the reasoning? I'm always trying to put those puzzles together. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many questions in this case. Okay. So let's curious, dive in. Curious, I'm going to have to watch it. So it was recorded and during the interview, which is cool because it's being analyzed by all these experts. So mm -hmm. they're like chiming in. Um, so during the interview, he's told that a body has been found with tattoos that matched his description of Hope's tattoos. And he said he and Hope had been arguing over their son for the last couple of months. He said that he had kicked their son out of the house that was against his wife's wishes. So the people analyzing the video note that at several times, he describes instances of telling his wife what to do, okay. which indicates possible control issues. Mm -hmm. So, and then Parks, he admits to having anger issues, but he's taking medication for it. And that wasn't a question they asked. So that's an odd thing to say. Yeah. So they say like, oh, this is called oversharing mm -hmm. where they like somebody being interviewed will share too much information because they think it's making them look innocent right. or trustworthy, mm -hmm. but it actually has the opposite effects. Like, why are you saying Telling that? Telling me that. Yeah. Yeah. They analyze the body language too, which is really interesting. And, you know, 
they are telling him that his wife may have just been found dead. And like he's really doesn't show a lot of concern. What? It's very, yeah. Hmm. He's just like, you know, kind of, it, it wasn't the reaction. I mean, I know people process things differently, but it still seemed very off. Plus, he's wearing, yeah. I'm a fashionista. He's wearing jorts in this video. And I'm, I'm against jorts. Jean shorts? Yeah, like the long ones. Oh, yeah. That don't fit anybody well. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's not a good look for most people. So during his interview, so this is all like happening at once, mm-hmm. keep in mind. It's this active crime scene at the bridge. You know, he's made this nine on a call. He's being interviewed. So he agrees to let the police go search his vehicle and property. Okay. And without a warrant. So it takes a while to get a warrant. There's like a little process. So he's like, great. So they immediately, <laughs> right. while he's being interviewed, are like, well, on the way. You know, he signs a thing. He agrees to it. Which, you know, could be that, like, like you said, like the oversharing, like over being over accommodating. Well, I think you could see he was thinking a lot um, because sometimes he'd like give short answers. So maybe he was thinking if he said they couldn't, like that would make him look guilty. Mm-hmm. So maybe he felt like in a corner, like he had to agree. Right, right. So police immediately head to the house. Um, They found a lot of things quite a lot of things so he had said he'd been trying to call his wife for a couple of days and she wasn't answering his cell phone mm-hmm. you know he's worried right the police found her cell phone locked in a safe in their house so Suspect. That, okay. that explains why i can't get a hold of her and like locked who locks their cell phone in a safe ever I have never, never heard of that. I have ever. never locked myself in. A I've never even heard of anybody else doing it, let alone me. Like, what is the reasoning? I just don't get it. Sorry. Yeah, no, it, it sounds. Police found dried blood yeah. in the driveway um, near the garage door on the deck and on the back deck. So dried blood everywhere. They found a spent 22 caliber rifle shell casing in the yard next to a trail of blood. And most shocking and damning was in the basement, buried in a shallow hole in the cellar floor, police found a severed head. I mean, yeah, that's pretty damning. Which was identified as Hope Parks. Okay. Michael Parks' wife. Yeah. Okay. It was just like hidden under... Is that considered circumstantial evidence as well? At this point at all, nothing yeah. is like exact. Right. But they they saw in like the dirt on top of the concrete to there drag like, marks. More certain than fingerprints. It does. And like he kind of covered like the area or somebody at this point had covered the area with like a bunch of like basement things, like tubes and things. Debris. The autopsy would confirm she had died from a small caliber gunshot wound to the back of her head. They also found a blue tarp with blood stains on it that police believed was used to transport her headless body to the bridge where she was rudely shoved under the railing. An autopsy would identify the headless body as being Hope Park's 
and Michael Parks was charged with murder. Did he have a truck or a car? I think it was a car. So, so my thought is, so there's like a, a metal guard gap and then a metal guard again. Oh. Like if you were trying to get rid of a body and not have passing cars see, like if you pull up and open your door, that would be an, a nice middle area to try to not be like throwing something over, you know. I not just, a nice spot to do that. It would logically maybe make some sense. I'm just struggling with what was going on in his head with all this because this this is in the daytime, I think, that he put the body there. I mean, do I can't I mean don't I couldn't find that info, but it was found in the daytime. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine this frequented bridge. Right. It would have been sitting there for that long. Mm-hmm. So maybe he went in the wee early morning hours. Mm-hmm. But what was he trying to do? Was he wanting to display it? Because it was very displayed. I, I, in my mind, the first thing that came to mind was he shoved her out of there out of panic, like tried to keep it hidden out of sight so it didn't throw over, didn't like push through. And then she got stuck and oh, then God. left in a panic. And then there she lay. I mean, that just speaks to my initial impression of him is that he's fucking stupid. Is that what that is? That your profession? <laughs> so I was like, what is he doing? Because, you know, we we read in some of these, like, serial killer cases, like, there's very intentionality with, like, right. displaying a body, like, right, it's right. sending a meaning or something like that. And, and I'm like, what is the meaning of this? Like, could he... Really hated stupid. her that much or is it like you said he he thought he was just throwing it in the river in a sneaky way but miscalculated well, and again if you're trying not and it got stuck and it's like oh fucking right, right. Left. like even if he saw that it was stuck he may start to panic at that point like more cars going by like <gasps> i just need to leave i think that might be what happened because this is all conjecture by the way <laughs> because that would explain why he called everyone then because he was like oh shit I couldn't hide it. The body is going to be found like ASAP. Right. And whereas if it would have been thrown in the river, maybe. Right. But, why, but still, why in a public place like that? Like, why not bury it in the woods? So the thing is, is we're thinking he decapitated her at the house. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it could have been early enough in the morning where he thought he could do that and like want it to be washed away in the water. It's easy access without having to like go down there. Maybe like less physical evidence left behind. Like he doesn't have to carry her bar. It's like right there. Isn't that so interesting? Yeah. This is why I wanted to talk to you about this because I was all kinds of like why I had so many questions. So during his hearing, you know, it was noted that he had no history of mental health conditions, no history of drug abuse. Okay. Keep giving background. I will I will keep giving background. And he confirmed under oath the manner in which he murdered his wife at their South Elm Street home. And then he made no other statement. So he was charged with murder. Um following his interview at the police station i mean it was he he was just acting very guilty i mean maybe some of this is you know monday morning quarterbacking but watch the video let us know what you think like let's say the outcome was that he was innocent would 
he still would it be like those signs and things would we read it as innocent versus guilty so testimony from the police um affirmed that parks premeditated the murder so this was really a key point a turning point in the case that it wasn't an accident because his whole thing was like it was accident right so wait did you say how the head was an accident <laughs> okay i <laughs> i'm just confused on that part no let's discuss that more in a second here okay, okay. So when they did a search on his computer, they saw that he looked up whether bottle silencers work. Um, and I had to look that up. And, uh, and now it's on your search. Now it's on mine. So I'm fucked. But I mean, so a bottle silencer is when you take like a soda bottle and fill it up with water. And supposedly if you shoot like a gun through it, it silences it. Oh, okay. But from what I read, actually, it doesn't work. He also looked up, like, would a, a pillow silence it, you know. So, so it showed it was not an accident, like he was trying to spin. Right, yeah. I mean, that just shouldn't be in your recent history if you have your wife go missing. I mean, and if it is, that's, you know, sucks to be you. Kind of sucks, like, the fingerprint. Yeah. So his whole thing that he was trying to say at first was that he gotten an argument with his wife um that it happened and then he was outside shooting groundhogs okay um because that was a problem okay apparently i guess that's the thing sure and then he came in and he was cleaning his gun and that he unloaded it but he accidentally left a bullet in his wife was making some hamburgers in the kitchen and the gun just went off okay but why did you say that she was missing if he shot her by accident yeah and, why how, would did, say and that? how did her body get on the bridge and why is her head in the basement yes because if i god forbid accidentally killed somebody i would be freaking the fuck out i'd be trying to save their life i would be calling 911 i sure as f would not be dragging her body down to the basement decapitating decapitating it yeah that doesn't make any sense Cleaning up the mess because no. the police said the house was very, I mean, other than all this evidence that he left with the blood stains and the right. the cell phone and, and the bullet shell thing, the casing, um, like things were tidy. Like he made an effort to tidy. Clean, yeah. Yeah, but then leaves this bloody tarp. Uh, why do why you got to cut her head off? If it was done out of anger and intentionally and planned. Like, it just, like, so many things make no sense to me. Why would you cut her head no, off? No, it does make sense, though. He murdered his wife. Yeah. How did he not murder his wife? Innocent of be guilty. We literally just had this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was trying to say, you know, it was an accident. The gun went off. But then the people that analyzed this kind of thing said it was um, what they call, a, a like, a contact mm-hmm. wound or something. They said... The gun was at the back of her head. So okay. there's no way his story well, makes any sense. Did the bullet leave her head? Is it lodged in a wall? I, I, I didn't read that part, but I guess there's something with Indiana law that it, he could have still 
gotten away with it being accidental, but it was that computer search that made it like, no, this was not an accident. This was premeditated. That was the pre, that switched the, okay. That was a, a key turning Like, point. yeah, if your whole excuse is it was accident, 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 then you shouldn't be looking up how to make it quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Before it happened. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So according to the testimonials, Parks decapitated his wife, wife's head using a miter saw and then buried the severed head in the hole that he dug in the basement. And then he used a tarp to transport Hope's body to a bridge over Sugar Creek and then left it, um, shoved in the railing. Okay, thanks. So he's saying that's what he did. Yeah, he did eventually um, admit to that. Okay. Did he admit to guilt or admit to taking the body there? From his accident. Well, I don't know if he actually ever said he intentionally did it it or not. Well, no, I think he did end up pleading guilty to all this. Okay. Good. Sounds like it was warranted. So the manner of death was determined to be homicide by um, examiners and was positively identified as Hope Park's via fingerprint scans. What? Linked. Linky link. But that was, yeah, one of the things like, you know, she doesn't have a head, but she has her fingers. Mm -hmm. And then the head was later confirmed but belonged to um, Hope Park's through dental records and photographs and positive identification for family members. Mm -hmm. So even though he had no history of mental health conditions or drug abuse and was a high school graduate and was employed, which would be factors that would kind of point away from doing something like this. He did have a prior conviction of domestic battery against his wife nearly 20 years earlier, and there were multiple charges of domestic battery that had been uh, reported, but then dropped by the wife in years. So there was a history of of him being a big old ass. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Is he in jail now? He was sentenced to 50 years in prison. Okay. He'll be 94 when he's released, if he's still alive. Um, I really wanted to find some info on Hope because I hate that, like, in these cases... Not very much. You hear so much about, like, the Mm -hmm. bad person and, like, I want to shine a light on the actual life and it wasn't a lot. Um, I was able to find her obituary, though, Mm -hmm. and I think very intentionally he was not mentioned at all in it. Yeah, yeah. It said that, um, like, her grandchildren were her, like favorite thing in life so i thought that was nice but god how horrible i would say if you're interested in this and like crime stuff and that's a good one psychology go look up the youtube video Uh, it's fascinating mr bonita and that's so many questions why did you have to cut the head off i don't think he had to sorry why do you gotta do that It's, it's just 
I mean, I think we have abuse of a corpse crimes. I didn't learn that he had um, been charged with that. Not, yeah. But I think that could apply. Hmm. What, let's do yours first. Okay. So fingerprints. I'm going to say four, only because I know they did my fingerprints in school. So they have them somewhere. I'm going to say four, but I think there's a potential for it going higher, especially like in that case I mentioned where you can use somebody's fingerprints mm -hmm. to access, like where are the limits with that? You know, I think I've seen movies where they like cut off a finger and carry it with them to be able to get into stuff. Or right. I think I saw a film where they took somebody's eye. Oh, I've seen that too. And like it's used it eye. to access the optic recognition. Yeah. Okay. The murder of Hope Parks and this Idiot. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's seven because it sounds pretty senseless. Okay, seven. I'm gonna let you wrap up. I all of a sudden not feeling really well. I'm gonna go to the bathroom. Okay. I'm gonna I'll say nine. Just in case. Just in case. What you have to call nine one one to the bathroom? Yeah. I'm gonna say a nine because it's just it's just horrific, and I, I feel bad, you know, obviously for Hope Parks' family and, you know, what she endured over the years with a controlling, abusive asshole that felt no remorse, and um, it's where he needs to be. So, if you didn't listen to our last episode, we talked about the subway guy Creeper Jared in his big pants and get to the bottom of what's in the tuna sandwich from Subway. And then we talked about the immortal cells of Henrietta Lacks. It's an amazing story. Everybody needs to um, learn about it. It's really important. If you'd like to support our podcast, be our patron on Patreon. It's only a dollar and you get access to exclusives like the video recording of this podcast and lots of other fun stuff so until next time i'd say um try not to get sick while recording on a podcast until next time i hopefully will survive <laughs> Bye.